In Mark 9.35, it says, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Today, Jesus decides to put up with this generation just a little bit longer. This is Day 12. Welcome to the Journey Through Mark podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Mark can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day 12 of the Journey Through Mark podcast. I'm here once again with Brendan Lang hey. and Melissa Payne. Hi. And we are recording in our houses all separately, joining in in the quarantine or the shelter in place the or whatever is happening. That is happening. Well, we can see each other, but we are very far away. So we feel all your old pain. Yep. Can't go into work, any of that stuff. But here's my question for today. Have you ever been really jealous of something that somebody else is accomplishing? Like you look out and you're like, man, I wish I could be there. So I have some people that I know that have this blog and they are literally traveling the world and they've been doing it for like four years and they have traveled to a hundred countries. And I just literally watch them travel and experience the world and have all these amazing adventures. And I'm so jealous of that. Like I wish that I was in a place where I could do that. That sounds amazing. So they just like travel around and blog about it? Yes. It's so awesome. And they were married for a year or two before they decided to start traveling. So they like saved up money and like got all these frequent flyers and all this kind of stuff. But now they've been traveling for four years. Well, now I'm jealous of somebody else and what they're accomplishing. Yes. I didn't think I had (laughs) many of these things, but now I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely. I'm definitely jealous of that. I'm jealous of more things now. I knew you'd do that. Brendan, what about you? What are you jealous of? Yeah, like when I see friends of mine that I went to school with, like publishing books and finishing dissertations and... Brendan, you literally are talking on a podcast about a book that you published. I did not publish this. (laughs) This is like your eighth To be clear, this is a free book that is not going in the theological library. Because you wrote a book. It's called Journey Through Mark. There you go. But yeah, I mean, it's so easy for me to look at things my friends are doing. And I have a friend, he's living in Israel and he works works for a school. He does a lot of things, but one of the things he does is he just lines up study abroad courses for people and helps take people on these tours. And I think that'd be so awesome to do. Like, that sounds to be, amazing. To be living in Jerusalem and teaching people the Bible right there. That's the dream job right there. Other than this job, of course, but... <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, this job, this is great. Sure. Brendan, you could have your Indiana Jones hat and whip <laughs> and live out there and do that. You'd go there and you do that. You get mocked ruthlessly. Well, that wouldn't be the worst thing that has happened to us while traveling abroad. We've had much worse. Yep. That is true. Well, today, it seems like the disciples are a little bit jealous of some of the accomplishments of other people, among other things that are going on today. But maybe I'm just perceiving that and projecting that upon them, but Brendan, you can help us find out. Why don't you take us through the commentary for today? Day 12, servants of all. Today, Jesus continues to teach his disciples what it means for him to be the Messiah. And just as we've seen in the past, his disciples are confused by his message. Their confusion takes on a variety of forms. One way it manifests itself is through an argument they have among themselves on the road. After hearing Jesus make another prediction of his death, they get into an argument over who among them is the greatest. 
This argument might have been provoked by Jesus inviting Peter, James, and John to witness his transfiguration. It almost certainly was grounded in a belief that the kingdom of God would have a rank-and-file hierarchy like the kingdoms of this world. Jesus responds to their argument in two ways. First, he teaches them about the upside-down nature of his kingdom. In Mark 9.35, Jesus says, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. In Jewish society, the word translated here as first referred to those who had leading roles in society. By teaching that those who aspire to be first should take the position of those who usually come last, Jesus flipped the social structures of the day on their head. In the kingdom of God, being a leader looks like being a servant. Second, Jesus responds to them by embracing a child in his arms. This might seem like an endearing gesture to us, but in Jesus' day, it would have been radical for a person of Jesus' prominence to embrace a child that wasn't his. At that time, children had little to no status. Socializing with them was thought to be detrimental to one's well-being. One rabbi even compared chatting with children to drinking wine at noon. By welcoming a child into his arms, Jesus symbolically conveyed yet again that the kingdom of God knows no class distinctions. The kingdom of God welcomes those who are rejected because Jesus himself was also rejected. On this side of the cross, it can be easy for us to wonder how the disciples could be so confused about Jesus. Look at our culture. We have our own titles, ranks, honors, and hierarchies. Just like the disciples, it can be easy for us to misconstrue what life is like in the kingdom of God. Like the disciples, we desperately try to climb the social ladder. For what? If we want to live lives that really, truly matter, we have to live as Jesus did, embracing people regardless of status and being servants of all. For day 12, we're reading Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through chapter 9, verse 50. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. 
He took a little child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Melissa, why don't you take us through our discussion questions for day 12. First question. In Mark 9, 24, the father of the suffering boy desperately cries, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. This plea reflects a great truth about faith. We can still believe even when we don't have it all figured out. What is the status of your faith today? How do you need help through unbelief? Second question. Today's reading ends with a collection of strong warnings about wrongdoings. These warnings are hyperbolic. Jesus doesn't mean that we should actually lop off limbs or stab out our eyes if we struggle with sin. After all, sin has its roots in the heart. But Jesus does intend that we understand the gravity of sin and take action to repent when we're in the wrong. What wrongdoings do you personally struggle with? What steps can you take to help you through your struggles? All right, Brendan. So these disciples are kind of jealous of this other guy who is casting out demons. And they're like, hey, we told him to stop. Don't worry, Jesus. We got this. We told him to stop. That's right. But apparently that's not really Jesus's thing that he's about. He wasn't trying to police people that were casting out demons. This whole exchange is a little confusing. What's happening here? So what I think is actually really interesting about this is it's a different way of saying what he said earlier in chapter three. Do you remember when he was confronted by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who said Jesus is driving out demons by the spirit of which time by the prince? (laughs) Well, the main time, right? So it's that fun sandwich we were talking about. His family comes to confront him. Yep. And then you have this big section in chapter three, people saying he's driving out demons by the prince of demons by Beelzebul. And do you remember what Jesus said there? He said, how can Satan drive out Satan? if a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. That's kind of like this negative alternative to what he says here. Here he says, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment
moment say anything bad about me for whoever is not against us is for us. He's saying if they're not trying to do something against us, they're actually on our side. Does this make sense? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm just like thinking of it in our current like church context. It seems a little bit poignant, but we can talk about more of that later. There's a lot going on today. What's crazy to me is how like positive Jesus is about just the youth and how much he wants to protect them. I mean, it starts out with this like story about him casting a demon out of a boy. The next thing you know, Jesus is holding a child that isn't his, trying to demonstrate the importance of it. Yep. Even like the end when he starts to talk about sin, it's in the context of if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better, dot, dot, dot. So it seems like a very like youth conscious little section that we've got here. I don't know if it's a sandwich necessarily, but <laughs> what's, what, what is happening in all of today's reading? We talked about this briefly in the commentary, but at this time, it's not that people hated children or whatever, or they sent them to live outside the <laughs> gates of the city or anything. They weren't marginalized in that sense, but children really had little to no status. They were like possessions. You know, you have a kid, so you have a worker and you eventually raise them up and marry them off and you can make alliances and actually get income that way. And that's kind of how people viewed children. They didn't have status. They didn't have something to contribute to a conversation. And so they weren't invited into social gatherings. And what I think is so cool about what Jesus does here is, as you've noticed throughout this whole section of Mark, he's actually elevating them. He's saying those who we push off to the sidelines, children and people like little children, those are the ones that I actually want to welcome. You know, the kingdom of God belongs to people such as these. I love that because sometimes in the church today, you look at students and people think, oh, what do they have to teach me? Or, you know, I'm not going to listen to them because they're so young. But honestly, I learn so much from our students every day, week in and week out. I agree. As we do Bible study. Well, I was going to say, even just creatively from my perspective, the stuff that's created by students and for students, that's the stuff that is like on the cutting edge of what people care about and consume and are interested interested in. So for me, like youth and students, that is the most vibrant way to cultivate what's next for our church, what's next for our world. So it makes sense to me that Jesus would be doing this intentionally. But what I think is funny to me is after Jesus casts out this demon from this child, he ends it and all of the disciples are like, Jesus, why couldn't we drive out this demon? Which is like something that every parent today is asking about their own kids, right? (laughs) And he's like, hey, this kind can only come out by prayer, which is like a very poignant message for all the parents, parents out there. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, all you can do is just love your kids and pray that God can help them. Cast right? out the demons. You see another, you know, demonstration with Jesus of taking a child and like holding him and being on his knee. There is a like proximity thing to yep. being with kids that it affirms like who they are too. But it's interesting that Mark decided to put these stories in here and together. Why did Mark put these all kind of crammed in here for this purpose. This is a section of Mark. I like to call this the second act of Mark. He's traveling on the way to Jerusalem. We talked about this just the other day. He started off in Caesarea Philippi, where Peter made that great confession. And from there, he's been traveling on the way to Jerusalem. And we keep seeing that phrase on the way. We see it, for instance, in verse 33, where it says, Jesus asked this question, what were you arguing about on the road? That's literally the phrase on the way. And Mm -hmm. you see this over and over again. So it's a geographic thing. But while he's doing that, he's teaching them about the way, the road, the path of the Messiah, the road that the Messiah must take. 
And if you remember back in Mark 8, he said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. We're supposed to follow Jesus on the path. And as he's on the path to Jerusalem, to the cross, he's showing his followers what it looks like to be a follower of him, what it looks like to follow him on the road. And this is really one of his biggest teaching sections in the entire book of Mark. We had Mark 4 where he did the parables. Now we have this. And later on, we'll have Mark 13 where he talks about the destruction of the temple. But right here, he's teaching, this is what it looks like if you want to be a disciple of mine. This is what it looks like if you want to be a follower of mine. You got to embrace people like this. You've got to give value to people like this. You've got to encourage the next generation, not see them as just infants who have little to contribute, but actually as vibrant members of the community who have something to bring to the table. I think it's interesting that Jesus starts out this teaching with predicting his death for the yeah. second time is yep. what it says yep. is the title. And then he goes right into this, you know, this is what it looks like to follow me. One, I'm going to die. So I'm different than what you think. Yeah. But also, whoever's not for us is against us. And also the next generation matters. So it's a much more holistic view of everybody, a much more tolerant view of everybody yeah. than probably these leaders at the time would have thought, but even the disciples would have thought. Well, the disciples aren't even thinking like along the veins of who's invited into the kingdom. What they're thinking about is mm -hmm. their own position of power in the kingdom. And that's what they're arguing about. They're on the road. And you wonder what caused this argument. I kind of wonder if it's the fact that Peter, James, and John had that transfiguration experience where now mm. they're almost like elevated among the disciples, you might say. People might think that. And so like all the disciples get in this fight, who is the greatest among us? Because we know if Jesus is bringing the kingdom, he's bringing it with power and we believe we're gonna have positions of authority in that kingdom. And Jesus is subverting it completely. He's saying that's not what the kingdom looks like. And they're blind, they just don't get it. Well, at least we stopped having those kinds of issues you know, <laughs> in the church today. We figured it out and we can look back in hindsight and be like, wow, let's learn from these guys. Thank goodness we don't make that mistake again. So here's the question really is like in our church, in our communities right now, there is a sense of like, we're kind of jealous of what's going on in other places. We see people that are doing new and cool things. They have youth flocking to their gatherings or their church services. And you have others who are not able to do that or see it differently. So how do we do this together. Like with the big C church, how do we understand each other and learn from each other well and not cast the negative judgment like what is happening here where you see somebody doing something and you just assume that, oh, well, they're not one of us, so they must be doing it wrong. I think just seeing that there's value in every person, no matter where you come from or your age or your demographic, and that everyone has something that we can learn from. It's not just like these guys are seeing like the teachers of the law or the disciples that were walking with Jesus, but that he was even calling the children, which like Brendan said, were not highly valued, you know? And so I think we constantly see Jesus choosing the unlikely to love love on and to even use to spread the gospel. We started off talking about this idea that no one who does a miracle in my name in the next moment can say anything bad about me for whoever is not against us is for us. And I think it's so easy for us in the church to make divisions and to see people who go to different churches or belong to different denominations, people who think different things about scripture, come from different theological backgrounds as almost like our adversaries and enemies. And yeah. this isn't yeah. to say that there aren't some core truths I think we need to hang on to. I mean, we don't lose everything, but I would say that we need to acknowledge that we're all part of a big C church that we all recognize Jesus as our Lord, as our King, as our Messiah. And so this means that we need to start seeing those who are a little bit different from us as actually maybe being part of our same team as those being with us and not outsiders who are against us for whatever reason. 
Melissa, you hit on this idea that like everybody has a place and Brendan, you're saying there's no adversary, which is easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, when I see somebody that is really accomplishing the mission that we've set out, like what we want to do, what is our goal, which is like reaching people and explaining Jesus to them and showing them how it can change their lives. And we see them doing it well, but it's not how we would have done it ourselves. There is just a little bit of like animosity and lack of understanding on like, well, can they be really like doing it? Does it delegitimize what they're doing and like the end product? Because they're not doing it the way that I would want to do it. So there must be something wrong with them or they're like not actually doing what they're saying they're doing. We honestly talked about this. This kind of came up in the Philippians study where Paul wrote about how those who preached negatively against him, he could still praise God for. He still found joy in it because he knew that Jesus was being proclaimed nevertheless. And he saw value in what they were doing. But it's so easy for us to become critical. I mean, at that time, like the big thing everybody was talking about was Kanye's new album. You remember that? And like he was getting crushed by everybody because like no one thought that there could actually be something good in this album, that something good could come out of an album that proclaims that Jesus is king. And yet it seems there is some good in it. And I think there are so many instances like that in the church today, like where we look at preachers, we look at worship leaders, we look at different churches and their methods, their ways of doing things. And we begin to criticize and question their authenticity. And maybe we should just start praising God that the kingdom is being proclaimed. Yeah, I agree. Melissa, do you have anything to add to that? Maybe not to add exactly to that, but I just keep thinking about the beginning of these verses as we're talking about like Jesus, you know, healing this possessed boy. And it goes back to like just believing in what Jesus can do and his power. I think this just applies so much to where we are right now because Jesus is talking to this man and he's telling him, you know, from childhood, like all these things would happen. And he says, but if you can't do it, that's okay. And Jesus just like, I don't know, he just kind of yells at him and he says, but if you can. Yeah, I kind of love it. (laughs) If you can. Jesus that I like, right? Yeah. Yeah, Where he's like, I mean, do you know who I am? I can do all these things. And so, I don't know. For me, I think this really spoke to me right now because I think I'm in this place where I'm just like, Jesus, I don't know what is going on in this world, but I want to believe that you are doing something great in the midst of all this craziness. Yeah, I completely agree. And for somebody who hasn't grown up in the church and is listening to this for the first time, Mm -hmm. this is the most confusing part about some of these weird church dynamics. It's almost an incentive to not get involved in church or not want to hear what Jesus is about because you look at this group of people and you're like, how can you all disagree and have so much infighting and have so much drama when Mm -hmm. what you're saying on stage is all about love and peace and having a one mission when in reality, like the way that it looks is that you don't. Mm -hmm. And so, For me, it is sort of hilarious how Jesus is like, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Even this study, we didn't know what book we were going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We didn't know if it was going to be the right time. We didn't know anything about I it. Did, I did not think well, this was the right time. I mean, I thought this was crazy early, crazy fast for us to do it. And yet it was like the perfect time. Well, and that's just the thing about putting time into this too, is when we create these studies, we have to take this moment of like, you know what? Every one of these is not about us. Nope. It's not about our team. It's not about Willow. It's not about anything on this world. Mm-hmm. We have to have faith that honestly, the scripture can stand alone. There's no message that we're going to part in here. So the best thing we can do is to create 
some content around the scripture and let the scripture do the work. Because let's be real, it has the power to do that. Jesus has the power to do that. And there's really nothing else that we can add to it that's going to make it that much more transformational. Yeah, I was just talking about this with someone from the church today, this idea that it's really not that complicated. You know, it seems like this big thing journey when we do all the books, we do the podcasts and videos and things like that, but it's really a very simple strategy. You just open up scripture and let it speak, let God's word flow into us. And when we do that, when we find ourselves centered on God's word, all of a sudden as a church, we can find ourselves laying aside those methodological and theological things that might differentiate us. And we find ourselves centered on the thing that really matters, which is the word of God and the story of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think even just as Jesus is teaching his disciples later on, you know, you go from this idea of if I can, for those who believe it is possible, and then you go to Jesus' disciples trying to jostle and try to figure out who's going to be the best. But in reality, Jesus is saying, if you put your head down and just serve and be the least of these and do what I'm calling you to do, none of that's going to matter. That's how you'll be first. But the irony is only once you start to lay those things down and and serve people and put yourself last, do you realize that being first is not even a concern for us? Mm. Like being first is not anything that we are concerned about at all. It's making Jesus's name known is what is really our biggest concern. I definitely want to be a generation that is believing that Jesus, you know, says he can do what he's doing because he's calling them out as an unbelieving generation. And it just seems like even in the question for today, it's, you know, what is the status of your faith and how do you need help through unbelief? And so I think right now, a lot of people are doubting their belief or maybe they're questioning who God is and what's going on like in this crisis, you know? Yeah, I think the things that we can hold on to are some of the things you just named. Like, I think we're not alone in this Mm because even back then, Jesus called them, you unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And I'm guessing there's some people in some older generations that feel that about younger generations right now. Statistically speaking, millennials and younger were the least churched generation, they say, since Jesus was on earth. So there's probably a good amount of that sentiment. But good news is we're not alone. We're all in this together. And this is not the first time that we're all dealing with this sense of doubt. The truth that transcends all of it is this reality that Jesus will stand the test of time and people will continue to proclaim what he's done. Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Mark podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. Check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages. Visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag WillowJourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.